Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you for your love in sending him for us. We thank you that he willingly came and that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. And that because of your son, Jesus, those who trust in him, who are forgiven of their sins through faith in him, are are those who will uh, be in heaven forever and ever with with you. And Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness that you came upon us in our sinful state and revealed your son Jesus to us through the gospel. And Father, I thank you that you use your word also to grow us in respect to salvation. And I pray as we look in your word now that you would you would do so, that we would be willing and uh, pliable, Lord God, that our hearts would be moldable, that you would uh, change us and make us more like your son Jesus. So we thank you for this morning, and we commit it to you in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you think about it, uh, there is much to worry about. There's a lot to worry about. There are so many circumstances, so many unknown variables. Uh, this life is not constant. It's not constant. We have no true idea what might happen later today, let alone tomorrow, let alone the next week, let alone next year. Certainly those who don't know Christ have much to worry about because, uh, as you know, we can't control life. Uh, We cannot control circumstances, and those who haven't come to Christ yet uh, realize that, that they can't control these things. And so worry and anxiety is part and parcel for those who don't know Christ But what about for believers? Uh, The hymn writer wrote, Through many dangers, toils, and snares I've already come. Uh, The reality is we have uh, difficulties in this life, and we too are tempted to worry day in and day out like we were before we came to Christ. But the reality is that believers have something that the non-believer does not have, and that is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ And we're going to see today that effectively worry gets in the way of our faith with Christ. And so we need to learn how not to uh, yield to the temptation to be anxious or worry. So we're going to see how we can overcome today the cruel taskmaster of worry. We're continuing our series uh, before we begin our next book and looking at Nehemiah. And so we're looking in the book of Matthew. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? And we're going to see that where our heart is fixated, that reveals where our hearts are at, our hearts are at. Now, in the book of Matthew, King Jesus has uh, come to his own. God has taken on human flesh. He has come to his own. They're sitting in darkness, and they saw a great light. And he has shared his word. And in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we see uh, the teaching on the mount. We see Jesus' teaching. And in this portion, which some call, and we call the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus reveals kingdom righteousness, and it is presented by the king, King Jesus, which confronts phony righteousness, which is really lawlessness. You see, the Jews, they said they had a relationship with the Lord, and yet they didn't. They were walking in darkness. They were still in their sin. They had a phony external righteousness by their deeds rather than a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And so Jesus is so gracious to reveal to them what true believers look like. And he begins that with the blessed statements, those statements which reveal what those who are truly blessed look like. 
And then he moved from that portion to uh, reveal uh, how those who are saved relate to the world. Uh, we are uh, the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And then how we relate to the word of God. Indeed, Jesus painted a picture of what those who are truly saved look like, which confronts those who are not. And then Jesus gave six corrections to Jewish misconceptions concerning the word of God, uh, unveiling that those who were hold, held on to those were truly uh, hypocritical in their understanding of their relationship with the Lord. Then in chapter 6, Jesus moved from revealing and unveiling the, un, the wicked heart motives of the unsaved to addressing their outward religious actions, which manifest an inward hypocrisy. You see, God is gracious. He doesn't want anyone to think they know him, to go through all the, 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 the motions to think they have a relationship with the Lord and not truly have one. So Lord Jesus is exposing that. Then Jesus moved to address uh, one's relationship to material things, and we saw this last week. Indeed, uh, he revealed uh, that the location of our treasure reveals where our hearts are at. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as we're going to see, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and man. You can't serve God and money. You're either going to hate one or love the other. It's, it's, it's impossible to serve both. And so from this portion, we come to a passage which helps reveal where our hearts are at, where our hearts are at. Again, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 24 through, uh, actually 25 through 34, but I want to go back one verse because it's connected to what we saw last week. Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For this reason, I, want, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat and what, or to what you shall drink, or f nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious can add a single cubit to his lifespan. And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays, so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so we have a wonderful portion of the Lord Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this is going to help us understand really uh, how we are to uh, be delivered from the cruel taskmaster of worry. And again, we all understand that everyone has been bound up and, and, and tied up by worry. We understand. Maybe you're worried about something right now. It comes on us day in and day out with all the different things that happen in our lives 
And certainly we see this uh, world these days just falling apart before our eyes. Now, nothing's new under the sun, but for us, it's in front of us. And it, it's, it's concerning. It's worrisome. So how do we uh, keep ourselves from being entangled by uh, worry and anxiety? Well, we're going to see, first of all, that we need to understand that if we are worried, we have a divided focus. We are dividing our focus. Look back at uh, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He's going to explain, and we'll talk about this. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, as we look at this, I want to talk about anxiety in general and the word that's being used here. Uh, the Greek word that's being used, miram nao, uh, comes from a root word, mirazo. And what does that mean? It speaks of dividing into parts. It speaks of dividing into parts, uh, going different directions. And indeed, worry at its core uh, divides our hearts. Uh, our word is translated anxious. Uh, in, also, worry here. Don't be anxious, but it's translated worry. Also, uh, it speaks of, uh, uh, of that which is uh, concerning, that which brings about anxiety or worry. It can be also translated uh, care. And indeed, in a positive sense, uh, there is the same word used to speak of care in a righteous sense. Indeed, Paul uh, shared that there was no one other than Timothy who would be genuinely concerned, or that's that word, uh, for the Philippians' welfare, Philippians 2.12. And that's not worry, that's biblical care. That's not what Jesus is speaking here because he's saying don't do it, right? And Paul was doing it and that was okay. He was He recognized that Timothy was the one that was concerned about the ministry and about those uh, in the Lord's care. And so worry is different, and we are told not to be. We are commanded not to be anxious. Now, if we look at all the commands we have in Scripture, we don't have the power not to do it. We need to, as we will see, rely and trust in Christ. And often it is the reality of, of those commands that expose those who don't know Christ because they realize they can't do it, or in their pride they think they can do it, but it exposes sin either way. And so here, before we begin, let me just say that uh, unlike many churches, uh, the sin of worry is, is, is seen uh, uh, as a very destructive sin. Lots of places don't see it as a big deal. Uh, the world doesn't see it as too big of a deal. There's lots of things that the world says, here's what you do for worry. Let's medicate it. That's what we do. That's how we take care of it. Um, but, and we see the church kind of going in that direction too. But the Lord Jesus here says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And we're going to see that worry is a destructive sin. Now, all sin is destructive, but worry is destructive because at the root of worry, as we will see, is a divided heart that doesn't truly fully trust in Christ. That's really the key. It comes down to faith. It comes down to faith. And worry attacks that, and it reveals a lack of trust and a doubt, ultimately, in God's good character. But we all get caught up in it. We all get tempted. And we need to understand how to be delivered from that, from that, and to share with those who need deliverance from that through Jesus Christ. 
so that maybe some of you are under the cruel taskmaster of worry. We, we understand that unbelief does exercise tight control upon us. Hebrews chapter 12, the sin that so easily entangles us. And the book of Hebrews speaks of unbelief all the way throughout. It entangles us. It ties us up. And in, certainly in the context of worry, we have felt those constraints upon us when we are worried and concerned about many things. So then, uh, because worry attacks the core of our relationship with God, it is so important that we understand uh, how to be delivered from it. And the Lord Jesus begins by telling us not to be anxious. He commands us not to be anxious for the basics of life, as we're going to see. Look at this again, verse 25. For this reason, we'll talk about that in a minute, this for this reason. He then gives an imperative command, do not be anxious for your life. God in human flesh says, do not be anxious for your life. And he goes on as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor as to your body, as to what you shall put on. And this is a command here. Don't do it. And he modifies it as to what you should eat, what you should drink in your body, what you should put on it. He's talking about food and clothing. Food and clothing. Now, folks, at this time when Jesus was speaking to these Jews, food and clothing wasn't uh, a sure thing like it is in our culture. I don't think we worry too much. We worry about uh, 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 things that are connected. We don't worry about not having a place to be. We don't worry about not having any clothes, basically. We may worry about what clothes we have or whatever it might be or, or where, we, where we're going to live, but it's not that we don't have these things. But at this day, uh, it wasn't taken for granted that you had them. And so he says to these Jews who would name the name of Christ, don't be anxious uh, for these things. Don't worry for it. Don't worry. Don't be anxious for your life. Don't be anxious for your, for your life. He says here, very interesting, he begins with this, for your life. And then he goes and talks about food and clothing and shelter, right? Indeed, uh, that is the things that we can certainly be anxious for. But he says, don't be worried about what you wear, what you eat. And also he'll talk about shelter. And then he says here, in the beginning, for this reason, look at verse 25, for this reason, I say to you, here's the reason why I tell you not to do this. Here's the reason why. And, and what was the reason? It's what he just spoke about. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. You can't serve God and then serve money. And money does what? It buys all that stuff, doesn't it? It buys the houses. It buys the clothes. It buys all that stuff. You can't serve both. If you do, you're going to be divided. You're going to be divided. So he says, for this reason, because you can't serve God and money, then he says, do not be anxious for this life. Don't be anxious for this life. And he explains what it is. And so really, the first thing we need to recognize is that anxiety reveals a divided heart. When we're anxious, our hearts are divided. If you're a believer, you know the Lord. You have trusted in him for salvation. You have repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ. You realized that you needed a savior from your sins because there's a judgment. And you trusted in him and he saved you from your sins. And you were delivered you were delivered, and yet we recognize at times, we, we did that by faith, but we recognize at times that our faith uh, waves, it, it, it wavers. And so we understand that, and we need to remember that anxiety does reveal a divided heart. Now, it also reveals where our focus is. Look here, 
he says in the end of verse uh, 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He said, don't be anxious for your life. That's what you'll eat, what you'll drink, for your, nor for your body, what you shall put on. Isn't life more than this? He's going to say, here, I'm going to give you an instruction of what life is. You see, we, uh, before Christ, thought of life as just simply the daily ins and outs of life, right? Uh, food, shelter, clothing, the things we do, you know? And yet, Jesus says, is not life more than this? Is it not more than this? You see, for the non-believer, as each of us were before Christ opened our eyes to see our sin and graciously revealed uh, his love for us, before that, everyone, we, we lived in the physical sphere. That's all we lived for. We were spiritually dead to God, and, and we lived for that. And yet there are those who may even say they're saved, but even Paul says, if Jesus is for this life only, we're of all men to be pitied. If it's just about this life, that's it. And so here, Jesus says, is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Uh, look at uh, Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 12. We have a, a parallel uh, posse- possession. I just read the words. A parable passage, a parable passage, which also reveals this same truth, but comes from a different angle, as we'll see. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And again, notice the, 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 uh, exhortation against uh, uh, the focus on the material. And he said to them, Luke chapter 12, verse 13, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. And he's going to explain. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Your life does not consist of the stuff you have. Now you may think it does. And the world thinks so. The world thinks of one more thing, one more thing. This is life. Uh, Every week it's moving for one more thing, one more whatever it might be. He says it does not consist of the possession. And he tells them a parable. The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself and saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. He's talking to himself, right? I'll tear down. Uh, my barns and build larger ones and there I will store my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul I will say to my soul soul you have many goods laid up for many years come to come take your to come take your ease eat and drink and be merry but God said to him you fool he said here this very night your soul is required of you and now who will own what you have prepared so is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, notice the connection, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your bodies what you shall put on. For life is more than food and the body than clothing. Life is more than just these things we consider uh, from a worldly perspective, the things of life. It's more than that. It's more than that. You see, true life, the Lord Jesus says, does not consist of our physical possessions. It is more than food or clothing. It is more than just the physical sphere. Indeed, as we'll see, true life is centered around a relationship with Christ, the very word of life, the bread of life. John 1, 1 uh what was from the beginning, what we have heard, first John 1, 1, excuse me, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, 
what we have beheld with our hands concerning the word of life. Jesus was the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. Speaking of Jesus. And then John chapter 6. Let's turn to John chapter 6. John 6. You see, we're going to see that life is summarized in a relationship with the living God. With the living God. That's true life. That's true life. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He says here, but I say to you that you have seen me and yet, yet do not believe. All the Father, all that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given to me I lose nothing, but raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the resurrection and the life. Life is tied up in Jesus Christ. You see, we were created by the living God, but man sinned. We died to God. We were separated. Death is separation. We're separated because of sin. And it is through Jesus Christ that we enter into a relationship with the living God, that we are born again, that we are made alive from the dead, alive from being spiritually separated from God. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life. Jesus says, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This is life. This is true life, a relationship with the living God. Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 2, 3, 4, that we've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. We have his precious, magnificent, precious promises. And so then, true life is so much more than just the physical sphere, uh, i.e. your possessions, or that is your possessions, your food and clothing. True life is centered around a relationship with the living God. And it is Jesus Christ who, when we come to faith in him, who is actually our life. He is what our life consists of. Think about what the Apostle Paul shared with the Colossians. Let me read it to you. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, that means you've died with him, chapter 2, and you've been raised. You, you, when you trusted in Christ, his death and burial resurrection applied to you. It applied to you. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. Saying, focus on the things of Christ. Why? He's going to explain. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Christ is our life. The Apostle Paul understood this. Uh, again, Galatians chapter 2.20 says, 
I have been crucified with Christ. The old Paul, that Saul, he was crucified with Christ. That one who was laden with sin and on his way to hell, uh, the chief of sinners, was crucified with Christ, he says. And he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself for me. Tremendous reality. True life is a relationship with the living God with the living God, and it, and, it, and it culminates in eternal life, life with him forever, uh, in, in glory, with no sin, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, a life with him in glory. And so back to our passage, uh, Jesus says, for this reason, because you can't serve two masters, you can't serve God and money, you can't serve two things, he says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious as for your life. As to what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor the body, as to what you shall put on, is not life more than food and the body than clothing. Folks, we're not to be anxious first because anxiety reveals a focus that is divided, and it's on the temporal, right? And secondly, it, this life is so much more than the things that we are worried about. It is so much more than the stuff that we are tempted day in and day out to focus on. And God is good because we as believers, we are tempted. We're tempted to be worried about those things. But when we're worried about them, our relationship, as we will see with Christ, is hindered because our faith is hindered. And so like we see even in Philippians chapter 4, as was read earlier, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious for anything. But instead of being anxious, he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's a relationship uh, through prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. Oh, Lord, I have so much on my heart. There are so many things. Pour out your cares to him on your bed. Share with him. Pour out those things with him. Uh, Lord, help me. Uh, I, I'm concerned about these things here. Help me to trust you in this. Help me to understand what you're doing. Help me to wait upon you. Help me to hope in what you've revealed. Help me not to focus on these things without seeing you behind as the one who is controlling everything for good. Help me to see you rightly. And so we're to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, God's peace, not man's peace. Man's got a way to give you peace. Man will give you drugs. That'll give you peace for a little bit. It'll, it'll numb you down, whatever it is. Um, but the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, you couldn't even think it's, it, it could happen. It's beyond your, your comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we have these tremendous promises. So Jesus says, don't be anxious about these things. Isn't life more than this? And we need to remember, because when we are, we have a divided heart. We have a divided heart. Can I remember, man, and you can feel it, right? You feel that, that tug. It's not fun. Anyone tells you anxiety is fun, they're lying, because it's not fun. It's not fun. No sin is actually that. It always brings uh, d- death and difficulty, separation. Uh, it brings despair, as we see. So we're not to be anxious. So we need to remember and heed the Lord's command. When you get anxious, let that run through your head. He says, don't be anxious. When you're concerned about uh, your finances. Now, there are situations where we've made mistakes, where we have not done the right thing. We've not obeyed God's word, and we're suffering from those things, maybe financial, whatever it might be. And we need to humble ourselves and go, Lord, I, this, I put me in this place, and, and, I'm, and I, I'm sorry, and I'm praying for your grace. Help me. Help me to see things rightly. Help me to do things right. 
And then you start sowing to the spirit rather than the flesh. You start reaping later on, okay? But uh, we need to recognize, he says, do not be anxious. Remember his command. Then secondly, we need to learn from his illustrations. He's going to give some illustrations here. Let's take a look. Look at verse 26 back in Matthew 6. Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor do they gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so raised the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? How gracious God is to give us these illustrations so that we would trust in him and not worry. How gracious. He says here in the first illustration, look at how God feeds the birds, which are far less valuable than we are. Speaking of food, he talks about that issue first. He says they, they neither sow nor they reap nor they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Very simple illustration. Look at, and the word look at means to consider, gaze upon. It's in a tense that means just take a look at it. Don't, don't sit there and stare at it. It's not saying be a continual spiritual bird watcher. They say just take a look at it and observe something. Just observe it. He says here, look at the birds, consider, gaze upon that they don't sow, that neither do they reap nor they gather much. He's using human terminology. That's what man does, sows and reaps and gathers in the barns, has to do all this work to get food. Look at the birds. They don't do any of this. They don't throw seed. They don't harvest crops. They don't gather them. Yet God feeds them. God feeds them. Take a look at that. Now, he's not just saying that birds sit around and food falls from heaven, is he? No, you see, uh, the, the birds are pretty studious in finding their food. God has given them instinct, and he, but yet he provides food for them. So the point is, they're not worried about the next meal. They're not anxious, in a sense, about the next meal. Uh, Look at the birds. God provides for them meal by meal. God takes care of the small things of his creation, such as the birds. How much more will he take care of you because you are much more valuable? He says here, are you not worth much more than they? Aren't you more valuable than them? And the answer to that rhetorical question is absolutely You're much more valuable to God than birds. And yet God takes care of them, doesn't he? He takes care of them. You're much more valuable. Well, what does uh, David say concerning those who have a relationship with the living God, those who trust in him, those who wait patiently upon him, those who rest uh, in, in him? Psalm 37, verse 23, The steps of man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old, David writes, inspired by the Spirit, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his descendants begging bread. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen those who are righteous because of a relation with the living God, like David had through faith. He says, I haven't seen them. God takes care. You wait patiently. You trust in him. You rely on him. God is going to take care of you are you not worth that much so much more than birds in which they're 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 taken care of 
So then, you're much more valuable to God. Trust him, rest in him, wait patiently for him, and obey him. So he says, look at the verbs. Look at the look at the verbs. Look at the birds. Look at look at the verbs too in here, but look at the look at the birds. Um, now he's not giving you know one caveat here. He's not saying disobey God and He will provide for you. Uh, the reality is we have uh, Scripture that reveals that we are to uh, we're to be working. Men are to be working. They're to be providing for their families. Uh, we know from the fall that we are going to work until we go back into the dust. Now, we are uh, resurrected because of Jesus Christ, but there is a fall. And uh, the Apostle Paul would share with the Thessalonians, uh, for even when we were with you, we used to give this order, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. The reality is we do our work hardly under the Lord. We obey him, we trust him, and he provides for us. So then, learn the lesson. Learn the lesson. God takes care of the birds how much more valuable are you? Learn the lesson. Don't be anxious for what you will eat. And then notice verse 27, back in Matthew uh, chapter 6. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? This, is, this hits, hits, hits it, doesn't it? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit? A cubit is about an arm's length, basically. It was a measurement, Okay. The point is, you can do nothing to extend your life. You see, your life is in God's hands. You're going to worry about it. Nothing's going. To, who can extend your life from that? Oh yes, you can eat well and take Geritol, but the point is, you're not sovereign over your life. You're not sovereign over your life. God is. You are not control of your life. God is, and He has appointed. Our days. Turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. You can do nothing to extend your life, and worry's not going to make it make it one bit longer. Not one bit longer. Psalm 139, verse 16. David is. Uh, is sharing, he says, Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were they were in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as of yet when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God, and how vast are the sum of them. If I could count them they would outnumber the sand. When I awake I am I am still with thee. His days were written in the book. It's, it was ordained by God. And he says, how precious are your thoughts. They're, they're, they're innumerable. They're God's thoughts towards him. God's great care, his thoughts towards us. You know, if he takes care of the birds, think about how much he's thinking about us. How much he's thinking about us. So then Jesus makes the obvious point. You have no ultimate control over the length of your days. You can't add a day to your life now, you can shorten your days by sinning, disobey and dishonor your father and mother. You'll, be, you'll live a short life. That's what the scriptures say, right? Take foolish risks, test the Lord, your, your God. Uh, you might have a short life. But you can't add any life to, you, to your days. God is sovereign. Uh, he is in control, not you. Therefore, don't worry about the things that God is in charge of. Don't worry about those things. Trust him. He loves you, and you are valuable to him. You've got to see his character. 
It's not simply don't worry, but don't worry because you're valuable and God loves you. He takes care of you. Now notice he gives another illustration here. Notice he gives another illustration. Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Why are you worried about what you're going to wear, right? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? So he moves from anxiety concerning your food and to um, anxiety concerning your clothing. He says, why are you anxious about your clothing? Why are you worried about your clothing? Why are you worried about these things? And then he gives another command. Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Well, toiling and spinning has to do with making clothing, right? Making clothing. He says observe. Now, it's interesting. This term observe is not simply look. It actually comes from the Greek word monthano, and it's kata monthano, which means, means, and the word monthano means to be a learner. It's usually translated disciple. Okay, it means learn, but then it's actually intensive. Learn, uh, in a sense, learn thoroughly. Learn thoroughly by looking at these and observing these wild flowers, these lilies of the field. They don't toil, they don't spin, yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. They're more beautiful than Solomon's grand clothing. The, 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 the king of uh, Israel, the richest, most wisest, most glorious king of Israel, did not even dress as well as the wildflowers. Observe and learn thoroughly. Learn thoroughly. You see, the reality is God erased, if God erased the grass of the field, which is alive today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, they would take, you know, the grasses that would grow and then they would die. They would use it to help start fires, you know, just to help cook things, you know, use the, the dry grass. It's alive today and it's gone. He says, will he not much more do so for you? He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of your clothing. Don't worry about it. And then he says, O men of little faith. So we are much, much more valuable than the temporal grass and flowers if God so cares for his creation and he adorns it with beauty, uh, which passes away. How much more uh, we who are eternal, created in the image of God, uh, purchased by the blood of Christ, how much more valuable are we? Don't worry about food and clothing. Don't worry about the necessities of this life. For if you do, it is an evidence of where your heart is really at. And actually, it's an evidence to where your faith is. Notice what he says. O man of little faith. Now, this is not a compliment. We see it in other places in the book of Matthew. It's not a compliment. It speaks of very little faith. You remember when uh, Peter uh, saw Jesus walking on the water, and Jesus, he said, if it's you, uh, tell me to come out. And he says, yes. And Peter had great faith at that point. He walked out there. But then he got distracted by the waves and the wind and all that, and he started to sink, and he said, Lord, save me. And the Lord Jesus graciously reproved him about his little faith. Little faith is a faith that has doubting in it. It's a faith that's divided. Peter was focused on the wind and the waves, yet he was sort of trusting, but he wasn't. He was sinking. He was sinking. He says here, O man of little faith. You see, we need to realize that 
Anxiety is rooted in a lack of faith, in a lack of faith. Why are we anxious? Uh, Because practically speaking, we don't believe what God says. Yes, we believe it. Most of us are believers here. We believe what he said. If you say this and share that scripture, yes, I believe it. But do we believe it in a practical sense in the moment? In the moment. He says here uh, that uh, they are men of little faith. Will he not do much more for you, O man of little faith? You see, biblical faith, true biblical faith, is centered around a trust in Christ as revealed in the word. It's the full assurance of things revealed in the scriptures, uh, what he has done and what he did. It's the full assurance of the things unseen, right? Uh, fully assured and hoped for. It is the conviction of things unseen. It is trusting in Christ and the unseen realities concerning Christ revealed in the word of God. And we know that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Jeremiah chapter 17, 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. It's the Lord. Personal trust in Jesus. It's a personal relationship. You trust in him. You trust in him. You see, when we are worrying, we're not trusting he's going to take care of us in those areas. We're divided. And we are all tempted, and it all comes upon us, and we are tempted. And God is gracious. We need to pray instead. We need to turn to him and trust in him and rely on We need to renew our minds. You see, we were saved by grace through faith. We were saved by, by trusting in Jesus Christ. And we also are being built up in the context of faith. As you have received Jesus Christ, so walk in him. We walk by faith, not by sight. So when we worry and are anxious, we're exhibiting a diminished or lack of faith. And we're effectively in those moments serving another master or trying to, in a sense. And thus we are severely entangled. And we all know that. We all know that feeling. You see, if your God is money, then worry, right? But if he's the Lord, don't worry. You see, we are, as we will see, seek his kingdom instead. One pastor writes, what a tragic state, a lifestyle characterized by constant worry. And yet, don't many believers live in such a state? Jesus gives us the antidote to such mental angst. Perhaps you need to memorize this section of scripture so that you can recall Jesus' words in mind. The next time those fiery missiles of worry and anxiety attack, that when you need to take up the shield of faith to buttress yourself from those distractive, destructive thoughts, He says, but what does it mean in the context of this taking up the shield of faith? He says, biblical faith is not based on mental gymnastics, but on the truth specifically revealed in God's word concerning Christ. One other pastor writes, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. You know, we trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. Take those concerns, cast your cares upon him, for he cares. Take those concerns concerns and throw them on the lord you see the reality in first peter is that when we are worrying we're actually being prideful in a sense we're actually being prideful first peter chapter five and i'll read this for you first peter five um peter writes humble yourselves therefore before the mighty hand of god or under the mighty hand that he may exalt you at the proper time and then he says casting all your anxiety upon him for he cares for you Now, if I come to you and say, we have a conversation, I say, casting all your anxiety on him, that doesn't stand alone. 
it connects to this humble yourself casting your cares upon him because he cares for you he's concerned if he's going to take care of the birds he's going to take care of the the, the grass he ordains it that way how much more valuable are you he cares for you so humble yourself and go and trust in him so therefore, we're not to be anxious then. Notice in our passage again, verse 31. Do not be anxious then. Now, I, I like the NASV better here. It really should be translated, therefore, do not be anxious. And that's the way they translate it later on. Therefore, in light of this, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we clothe ourselves? Don't we say it in our hearts? What are we going to do? You know, he says, don't be that way. <coughs> for all these things, the Gentiles, now that's a slang term for non-believers. The Jews were the Lord's people. The slang term, the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. He knows you need it. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, we're not to be anxious then, therefore, verse 31, about what we should eat, drink, or clothe ourselves, because this is the way those who don't know Christ live their lives. This is the way they live their lives. We know the living God, and he loves us, and he cares for us, and he loves us so much he would give his only begotten son for us. He would send him to do his will to die, to to bear our sins in his body on the cross, to die with a sinless, spotless Lamb of God, to pay the penalty for our sins, to completely satisfy the Father's wrath concerning sin, and dying and being resurrected from the dead. And he loves us so much, he gave his only son for us. So then, don't be anxious. Therefore, you're so valuable to him. Don't be anxious. He's going to take care of you. If he takes care of those little things, certainly he's going to take care of you. You're worth so much more. Don't be anxious. Don't be saying in your heart, what about this? What about that? Don't do that. Why? Because you can't serve two masters. Because you're more valuable than birds. Because you can't add a cubit or to your lifespan. Because uh, God takes care of this grass, how much more you? Because worry reveals a lack of faith. Don't be anxious. And so here, non-believers don't seek the things of God. They seek the things of this life. But we're to do the opposite. See, our Heavenly Father knows we need these things. He cares for us. If you're a good parent, you know the needs of your children, and you are thinking of providing for them, yet it's constantly on your mind. And he's a good father, and he knows our needs, loves us so much. 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. Yes, each day is laden with uncertainty, with the potential of future pain and suffering, maybe even death, and we are constantly tempted to worry. But don't worry. The Lord is in control. He loves you. He'll take care of you. You're more valuable. You're, you're incredibly valuable to him, so much so he gave his son to die for you. So we're not to worry, but what are we to do instead? What do we do instead? Here it is, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first. Seek first. Here we have this idea of continually, habitually seeking in the, in the Greek language. Continually, habitually do this first. Make this the priority. Make this the priority. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things that you're tempted to be worried about will be added to you. Now, we have this uh, truth that we can all quote, right? But what does it mean? What does it mean to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? What does that mean in a practical sense? Well, earlier uh, in the disciples' prayer, some call it the Lord's Prayer, but the disciples' prayer, we are to pray, thy kingdom come. We're to desire that his kingdom would, be, would, would eventually be manifest. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now here, we also know that scripture reveals that the church, true believers, we are heirs of the kingdom. We are going to inherit the kingdom we know that we've been delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, if you think about a kingdom, a kingdom has to do with a king. It is the sphere of the king, King Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords. Seek first the things of the king of King Jesus and his dominion and domain. The kingdom of his beloved son, we see. The kingdom speaks of the sphere of the king. Seek first those things. Seek first his kingdom, continually, habitually. But what does that mean? That means we're focused on the things of Christ and how they apply to the things of this earth. We're, we're applying his will and his view uh, from the word of God upon everything that we encounter. I read it earlier, but in Colossians chapter 3, let's turn there this time, Colossians 3. If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. He says here, where Christ is. They're the things of Christ. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. Now you hear that saying, too heavenly minded and northly good. That's not true. If you are heavenly minded in, in accordance with the right, a right relation with Christ, then you are absolutely earthly good. He says here, Set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. Focus on the things of Christ. Make a choice. Instead of saying, what will we wear? I'm going to focus on the truth that God loves me and he's going to provide for me. He's promised to do so. I'm going to focus on what Jesus Christ has done for me in dying for my sins. I'm going to focus on these things concerning Christ. He says here, for you've died and your life is hidden with, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, you also be and you will be revealed with him in glory. Seek the things above, the things of the exalted Christ and his kingdom. They are invisible kingdom realities, kingdom values, kingdom truths, centered around the king, King Jesus. They are ultimately the things of Christ. So how do I do that? How do I do that? It's only through the scriptures that we have the revelation of the things of the king. We seek Christ through the word of God we set our mind on the things that God has revealed in his word. Now this term first here means before everything else. Seek before everything else his kingdom. Seek before everything else his kingdom. Do this before everything else. 
You see, it takes faith to do this, by the way. It takes faith to believe the things that he's revealed in his word. It takes faith to believe the unseen realities, to have confidence that they are absolutely true. Now, let me give you a practical example of what this looks like, seeking first his uh, kingdom in, in, in the context of being tempted to worry. Let me give you a practical example. Let's go back to Philippians 4.6. Practical example. Okay, I'm worried about something, but instead I pray. I'm going to seek Christ. I'm going to seek him. Philippians 4.6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. I'm going to dwell on the things of Christ. When my mind dwells on the uncertainties of this life, is that worthy of praise? Absolutely not. I'm going to pray. I'm going to look at the things of Christ, the things I'm worthy of praising Him for. That is the solution to anxiety: is to actually be seeking His kingdom instead, to be seeking the things of Christ, to trust in Him, seek forth His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. Well, what does He mean about His righteousness? You want to seek His righteousness. Well, what's His righteousness? I'm not going to repeat what I've shared in Matthew 5, 6, but let me share part of it. Remember this, that God is righteous and upright and just. His word is righteous. His deeds, his ways are righteous. And man apart from God is unrighteous. And God provides the requirements for righteousness for us in Christ. He who made him, he made him who knew no sin, that's, that's the Father made Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, he bore our sins that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, when we trust in Christ, we are declared righteous in position before God. We are justified through the blood of Jesus Christ, but yet we still sin. But God uses his word to change our hearts, to renew our minds, that we would practically manifest the character of God. Let me give you an example. 2 Timothy 3.16 all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. God's word equips me to learn how to manifest the character of Christ in every circumstance. I'm going to seek to be like Christ. I'm going to seek to trust in him, to respond in the way he would want me to respond. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And let me illustrate again. I just read this portion in Philippians 4. It talks about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there's any excellence, any worthy of praise, that's about Christ. Let your mind dwell in these things. And then he says, the things you have learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice or do these things and the God of peace will be with you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek to allow Christ to manifest his character in your life by faith as his word renews your hearts and minds. Continually be seeking his kingdom and righteousness instead of worrying. So let me ask you what, do you, what do you do? What do you seek? The next time you're worried and anxious and snared by it, uh, I guarantee uh, if you analyze your heart, you're not seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. 
right? You're just focused on what's going on, and it's ripping your heart apart. Go to the Lord, pray, cast your cares upon him, share your concerns with him, lay them before them, trust him to deal with them. Look in his word and, and understand how he will deal with it, what he will do. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. Therefore, in our passage, look here in the end. He says, therefore, verse 34, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Don't be anxious for it. Uh, God loves you so much. Uh, anxiety reveals a divided heart. He loves you. He'll take care of you. He's gracious. He's kind. You can't add one day to your life. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, seek first his kingdom. Don't be anxious then, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek to allow the righteousness of Christ to control you, his word to control you in every action, every situation. Seek to allow Christ to be manifest. And so he says, therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Therefore, we're not to be like those who don't know Christ, who seek the earthly things all day long. That's what they seek. We're to seek the things of Christ. Our Heavenly Father knows we need these things, so seek Christ. And therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus says. For tomorrow will care for itself. Leave it in God's hands. Leave tomorrow in God's hands. And each day has enough trouble of its own. We understand it. Therefore, we better leave it in his hands, right? Better leave it in his hands. So then, we're not to be anxious. So let's obey the Lord. Let's obey the Lord. And let's remember his words next time we're tempted. Could be in five minutes. Could be now. Could be later this afternoon. Remember his words and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He's going to take care of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. You are so good. I thank you for your son Jesus who came and died for our sins and who shared uh, this wonderful truth. Lord, help us to recognize that when we're anxious, our hearts are divided, that our faith is little, and it, and it reveals doubt. And help us to know that you love us so much that you're, you're going to provide for the things we need. You're going to take care of us. Your thoughts towards us are so numerous. And Lord, help us to realize when we're anxious, we're being like those who don't know Christ. We're seeking those things uh, without trusting in you. So Lord, help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and trust that you'll take care of tomorrow and you'll take care of us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.